We're in John. If you'd get your Bible and turn to the Gospel of John. This is John the Revelator's Gospel account to help those who believe to have stronger faith and to introduce people to the Savior who don't have faith. You know, this is the goal of the book. Again, this is usually why it's one of the first books we recommend to read as a believer or if you're going to start serious Bible study, we'd recommend the Gospel of John to you because it gets down to the main and the plain things of all Scripture, Jesus, and pointing to Him, our Savior. He has given us so far in chapter 1, Jesus' prehistory. He tells us about Jesus who was the Word. That he was in the beginning that He created things. That he was made flesh and dwelt among men. He's also introduced us to John the Baptist, this crazy preacher out in the wilderness. That we don't get too much of the craziness in this, we get more of the point of the message in it. That we have the other gospel accounts to fill in different details. And I'm sure we'll look at that some in the future because I don't think we're quite done with John. But he's given us John's witness. And he concludes his witness in verse 32 and 34. So let's start there. So John 1, verse 32. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remain on him, the same is which baptize which the Holy Ghost. And I saw, and I bear record, that this is the Son of God. And so he tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. He concludes that with his witness. He tells us that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. He's, he's said that for us before. We're going to see him reiterate that, or it's going to be reiterated to us later, later in our story. That God the Father confirmed it to him. So as an Old Testament prophet, I'm not sure how all that communication works. I know we have some encounters in the Old Testament about the still small voice that's speaking to them, or dreams or visions that they would have. But somehow God had communicated to John the Baptist that the one whom you see the Spirit descending like a dove and remain on him. I don't know if he saw other spirits descending upon them. You know, as a prophet, if he's more like Elisha, he saw maybe things with his spiritual eyes that you and I didn't see, but uh, he saw something radical. And I've, we've seen it betrayed different ways in movies, you know, like a dove coming down or a light beam hitting him. I'm not sure how it was, but it descended like a dove, probably some combination of the two. And it was a very visual sign and a confirmation from the Lord that this is the one. That I don't want you to be mistaken. He is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He also has told us that Jesus is the pre-existent one. He's confirmed the things that John uh, the Revelator has told us, that he was before him even though he's coming after him. And he says that I'm nowhere near even worth loosening his shoe latch at. And so he's confirmed who Jesus Christ is and his preeminence in history. So John the Revelator, we're talking about two Johns, I'll use that distinction. John the Revelator will now introduce us to other witnesses. So John is one of the first witnesses, and uh, he's going to introduce us to seven total Because that's the magic number. Because that's the number of completion. And John's book is uh, riddled with sevens. So verse 35. It says, again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples. So it's just introductory uh, little things here. But we learn that John had disciples. That's something we didn't know before. And so he has disciples who followed him, people who followed him, listened to his teachings. That's how Jewish teachers were. They would have a teacher and then they would gather and garner followers. And uh, people would come and be underneath them and stay and listen to what they were saying and take that. A lot of Pharisee teachers, the rabbis would have that. They kind of have their little school. You know, Paul talks about being under Gamaliel and those. And so he's out doing something. You know, he's definitely doing something from the Lord. We want to follow him. We want to be close. We want to see what's going to happen. And so they would follow him and listen to what he was saying and proclaiming and learn and grow. And so he had disciples that were there. And here he specifically mentions two, verse 36. 
And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. John has told us this before, that he's the Lamb of God. And so it seems like once he's delivered that message, that's his message. This is the one. This is the lamb. This is the sacrifice. I don't know if he understood it all or how it all was, but this is the words he used to describe it, the lamb of God. The one in the Old Testament that all those types and all those shadows, all those sacrifices pointed to, this is him, the one who will give up his life for him. So he's talking about his end even in his beginning here by identifying him as the lamb of God. Apparently, these two disciples understand it. So the one that they've been preparing for, the one uh, that John's been preparing for, you know, he's there to prepare the way, he's there to wake the way straight, you know, make the rough places smooth, you know, it now shows up, you know, because he baptized him and he proclaims that he is the Lamb of God and he sees the dove and God confirms it to him. He says, that's him. And so the two disciples that have been listening to John's message say, I am preparing the way for the Messiah to come. And they're like, well, that's Messiah. We're not following any of you anymore. We're going to follow Messiah, right? Because this is who you're pointing us to. And he's the one who's greater and he's the one's better. And so they take him at his word and they listen to his message and they change and they go and they follow him. And so this is the one I'm telling you about. He's told them before. John the Baptist says, I'm nothing. I can't even, I'm not even worthy to touch his sandal. And yet he's everything. He's the one who's preferred. God's confirmed it with him with the spirit like a dove. This is him. And so these two disciples say, all right, we believe you, John. And they follow him. Verse 38. And I have to really work. And again, I just recently rewatched The Chosen. And I think they did a wonderful job. I really appreciated it better the second time watching it. I think they've had a lot of forethought into things that they did. And I like the way that they convey it a lot better than I've seen in other ones because I didn't really think that they walked around like zombies, you know, where people are just standing there, come follow me, yes, and then they take off walking. You know, that's how they always kind of portray it before, and I'm always like, I wouldn't have done that. I'd have been like, who are you? You know, but they humanized it and fleshed it out, and I think that we'll see that here. Here it makes sense. John's been telling them about this man, and this man shows up, and they're like, well, that's him. Let's go follow and see. And, and it gets real world here. And I think that makes it make sense to us. And so they go following him. They want to learn and see, is this him? Verse 38. Uh, then Jesus turned and saw them following. I guess that might have been a little bit creepy. <laughs> but they are walking after him. And saith unto them, what seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? They're curious. They're going after him. And then verse 39, and he said unto them, come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. 10th hour, that's about two hours before nightfall, by the way, their reckoning time. They've decided to follow him. And so they've switched from being John's disciple, like we're going to investigate him. And if he is who we think he is, we're going to be his disciple. We're going to learn and study under him. So they follow and Jesus says, you know, what seek ye ask? And they're like, we want to know where it is that you're at, you know, because we're going to be there. And he invites them to come and follow. Same thing he does today, come and follow me, you know, same invitation. And they come and follow him, and we know that they stay with him. And so I just wonder what it was they saw. You know, when they came to his place, we know that he didn't have any place to rest his head. You know, it wasn't like he had a house. You know, it wasn't like he went to some grand Pharisee tent. You know, it probably was just camping on the fringe of town. Something that way, come and see. So it wasn't those things that they saw. What did they see in him that convinced them? I think they saw plenty. And I think we're going to get a little foretaste of that before we're done here this morning. But they choose to tell someone else's story versus their story. 
So we have some exciting things ahead of us. Again, it also makes me wonder, it's like, what things do they see to convince them? It's probably some of that stuff we saw at the beginning when we started John, where he says, if I told you everything that Jesus did that flipped us out, (laughs) the, the world wouldn't be able to contain the books that I would write about it. And so I think that just tells us how often that he did something that was miraculous that they just stood in awe of and just had no time to, to record it all. They're like, we'll just get you the main and plain things. And so I think we'll get to see some of that because he does give us some. That's why he's writing this book. So verse uh, 40. Uh, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. You know, I think we've all had that when you've been known as somebody else's brother or sister you know, versus just who you are. But Peter's kind of the one who comes to the, to the front here, right? He becomes the leader of the disciples. He's the one who's always speaking and saying something. He's the one that becomes Jesus' second hand, you know, his right-hand man. You know, he's the one that leaves him in charge. But he wouldn't have known if it hadn't been for his brother Andrew. Andrew goes and tells him. We learn something here that one of John the Baptist's disciples is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. I wonder who the other one was. It doesn't say, but I think we can find out, and so I think we will. So uh, there's some clues given to us, and we'll get to that here this morning. Verse 39, when we think about the other one, there's one of the clues up in here. Verse 39 says, And he said unto him, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt, and they abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Whoever this is knows and remembers the time that they met Jesus. Do you remember your first encounter? with the Savior, where you understood he was your Savior and you had to deal with him, that he wasn't just a teacher, he wasn't just some Sunday school lesson, or he just wasn't something, somebody that somebody said their name and they hit their thumb. You know, it wasn't just that it was when you considered that who he was, that he was the Savior, he was the God of the universe who came down and died on the cross for you. Do you remember that first encounter when you realized that you were lost and he was your only hope? I do. Changed my whole life. When I realized that I was lost and I needed a Savior and I was groping for a Savior, who would I cry out to? Jesus. Changed everything. Born again. It has changed the whole trajectory of my life. And I hate to think where I'd be if it wasn't for that encounter. This guy remembers the exact hour. I don't. I was a teenager. I don't remember the month. I kind of guess and round up at the year. You know, I'm like, oh, I think I was like 13, you know, so I can do the math. I was 78, you know, something. 1978, and I think it was in the summer because I think I had shorts on, you know. So I, I kind of, I didn't have a journal. I wasn't like, dear journal, I'm brilliant today. I'm not that kind of kid. You know, I didn't write those things down. But this guy, as an adult, it's like it was the 10th hour. I remember it was a couple hours before daylight, and we went and saw. And the things that he had already said captivated us. We're like, where else are we going to go? We're staying here. So I think that that gives us a clue. But I'm not going to tell you just yet. There's another clue in verse 41. Uh, let me read verse 40 and 41 to give us context. And so one of the two heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41. He first findeth his own brother Simon... And saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. So Andrew is one, and he goes and he finds his brother. And the thing that he tells his brother is, We found him. This tells you that this is a conversation that they've had as brothers before. Well, what's Messiah like? What's going to be like when Messiah comes? Will we recognize him? Will we see him? Will we be ready? Will we be able to discern the times? You know, what if it's today? It's like the Romans are here and things are going on and we can look at the signs that are upon us and remember the massacre of infants and these things. Maybe they sit and discuss that while they're out fishing, you know, often like talking about this when they were growing up at their table after they'd read the, been to the synagogue and heard the scriptures and they would come back and their family history and the Jewish history and they discuss these things and brothers, 
they go out playing like, I will be in Messiah's army. And we say now, we'll be in the Lord's army. You know, and so we, maybe they had those same speculations and the things that they were going on. One, they were brothers that believed. Brothers with a common belief who talked about these things and were excited about these things and encouraged one another in the Lord. That's good brothers. That's good brothers. When you can, that, that's your conversation and that's what you talk about. That's one of the things I think make Cornerstone unique. You know, I've been part of other churches. But one of the common things here is that when we're out and about and we're camping or we're having dinner or we're just out helping somebody move or raking a yard or whatever else, you know who comes up often in those conversations? Our Savior and what it's going to be like when we see Him or what He's doing or how He's moving or what we've seen or a portion of Scripture that we read. It's not something that the men in the church are like, oh, my wife made me come and we're here now doing this. It's like, no, it's, it's something different. It's a unique group where we discuss it, you know, that it's something that we talk about and that it's the common bond that ties us all together. Our Savior and serving Him and, and seeing Him move and work. Let's never lose that. These brothers had that. That's what made them family. I think that's why our church is family, and it should be this way. He says, I found him. We found him. And he says there, we found him. We have found him because he's with the other guy. You know, these two disciples. He says, me and the guy that we don't know his name have found him. I think Peter knows his name. He, says, he tells us who it is. Messiah. We're not just talking to another prophet. John is, I'm sure he's been telling him about John. I think John had been saying, Peter... Being the responsible one's probably being the older one. I think he's been taking care of fishing and taking care of family. We know that Peter has a mother-in-law. He's married. And he has responsibilities. And so he doesn't get to go run and see the wilderness preacher that's days away. Andrew does and comes back and tells him. We found him. John's pointed to him. And so he's going to introduce him to Jesus. Man, this makes me wonder how many times they talked about it. So Andrew goes right to his brother and introduces him to the Savior. But it seems like the other guy has a brother as well. So if you looked at uh, verse 41, he says, speaking of Andrew, he says, he first findeth his own brother, which makes it sound like, oh, the guy, other guy had a brother too, and he must have went and told his brother. And so, yeah, I think he did. (laughs) Andrew went to his brother to tell him about Messiah, and this other unnamed disciple went and told his brother. And so one thing you'll notice about John's gospel as we go through it is that he never names himself. I think he's just too humble. I think he's too blown away that the Savior would use him. The Savior would have him do all the things. And think of all the things we know that John's done. He's seen the Revelation, right? He's seen Christ. He saw him at the Mount of Transfiguration. He's had the book of Revelation revealed to him. He's the only one who hasn't been executed uh, for his faith. They tried. (laughs) But he's the one who's left to teach and write these things down and to pen even this gospel for you and I to encourage us in 2021. And he's just like, why would he choose me? Why would he choose a fisherman? Why would he choose me for this? And so I think he's just so humbled by it all that he's the unnamed one. I think he's the other guy that was there. I think that he was a friend of Andrew because they were fishing buddies. And there was two teams of brothers. And I think he went and told his brother James, we have found the one who's the Messiah. Andrew and I went. So maybe James is the older one and Peter's the older one. They're the responsible ones back home. They send their little brothers to go see what John is saying in the wilderness. He come back and tell them. He go, you go tell Peter, I'll go tell James. They go and tell them and they bring them both to the Savior, don't they? So I think it's there. He remembers the time. It was, it was what, the 10th hour. He's given us too many details. He's kind of tipped his hand. You're talking about you, John. 
Who else would know that? I wouldn't you know, communicate that story to you and you wouldn't remember like, oh, I remember the guy telling me it was the 10th hour. No, he remembers because it's his story. It's his testimony. So I think this is John is this other uh, disciple. And so they've both gone and told their brothers that they found him. They found him. They found the Messiah. So they go to family first. Who was the first one you told when you found the Savior? It was a wife, husband. Mom, dad, brother, sister. Who was the sphere you first went to go share the good news with? The first ones to come up and hug you and pray for you and encourage you. It's probably family, right? That's our first concern, right? We, we yearn for them. We pray for them. Andrew does that. Andrew's that kind of guy. We got to go to family. Andrew and John both <laughs> go and do that. And so I think that's a lot of us. I think that's how a lot of us probably come to Christ is that family is the one who brought us. Our journey as far as my family, from my perspective, because that's the one I know, <laughs> so was that we'd gone to church some here and there. When we lived in Indianapolis, I, I remember going to visit a Sunday school where my mom had gone to Sunday school. I remember going to some bus ministry things, hey, you know, go and we went this way. Uh, but when we moved down here, it was a little harder, but I had uh, an aunt, two aunts, uh, my mom's sister, and then my dad's sister-in-law that invited us to church a lot. Family who was concerned about us. Family that wanted us to be saved and know for sure. So I'm thankful for my aunts. that They loved us enough that they would invite us. Hey, we're going to have this and we're going to do that. We're going to watch a movie over here. We went to Mount Pleasant, watched a movie. It scared me to death. You know, called The Burning Hell. <laughs> thanks, aunt. <laughs> but no, thanks, aunt. So yeah, family. And then I remember telling my parents when I got saved. They were the first ones to come greet me at the front of the church. I wanted them to know and talking about it in the car and talking about it with my brothers and talking about it with my family. Family to know. Concerned about other family members. Sometimes they're the hardest ones to reach though, aren't they? So I'm glad there's more than one way to come to Christ. There's more than one way to be witnessed to. But I think we'll notice, and if you notice in the Gospels, every time you see Andrew, he's bringing someone to Christ. It's one of the things he's noted for. Every time he's mentioned by name, he is bringing someone and introducing them to Christ. That's a good thing to be known for. <laughs> That's a good thing if you're going to make scripture reference, it's going to be that you are introducing people to the Savior. Andrew's good to emulate. So here we see him, and we'll point it out when we see it again later, that he's bringing people to Jesus. Notice his witness that he uses, verse 41. He uses this point about the Savior. He says, He first findeth his own brother Simon, and he saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. He testifies that he's the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. We have found the one that the scriptures have told us about. The one who fulfills it. The one who's going to be the savior of the world. Our rescuer. The Messiah. He uses that as his point. He might use different things. Use one who's the comforter. We could use one, again, who's the savior. But Andrew uses this point. We're going to see some other points that are used here too. So he gets, he gets Peter and he introduces him. Verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. This is what Andrew does. Andrew goes and gets his brother. He brings him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. And we could spend a few weeks just on Peter. But we're going to see him later. Most of us know him. You know that uh, he is put in a unique position. But he calls him, and it seems like he knows him before he knows him, Right? Brings Peter to him, Simon to him, and then Jesus is like, Ah, oh, I'm going to change your name. Cephas, the stone. He already knows his character, he knows things, and so Christ is kind of known for that. 
that he'll give you a new name. Uh, Revelation tells us that when we get to heaven, that we'll have a new name, new name written in the stone. Is it one name that only he and I know, known for you alone? We sing a song that has that mentioned in it. Uh, that he knows you enough that's a fresh start. That he's like, I'm not going to call you by your old name. I'm going to call you by your new name. You know, so it's kind of that whole fresh beginning there as well. But we're going to hear plenty about Peter. Let's move on. I want to try to get further here this morning. Look at verse 43. The day following, Jesus was go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. So Jesus seeks Philip out, and he goes right to him with the whole goal. Follow me, a direct call. Some people come to Christ this way. They don't have a family member who knows about Christ. They're in a lost family. And through circumstances, you can only call divine that God would work things into their life that come to the point where they realize they need a Savior. And Jesus is there and says, follow me. And they do. Somebody in the middle of the jungle. Somebody at home watching TV. Somebody in the dark parts of the world where the gospel's not even preached, but there's a wondering, there's a hunger that God is drawing them to there. Sometimes it's a direct call from Jesus Christ himself. There's not a brother, there's not a family member, there's not a preacher like John the Baptist to introduce you like he did to, John, to Andrew. And so sometimes it's a direct call that he seeks them out. I'm glad that our Savior does all different styles. And so he goes and he finds him and he calls him. Verse 44. And Philip uh, was a Bethsaida, uh, the city of Andrew and Peter. So he's there close by. This is another guy. Maybe he'd been on fishing boats with him. Maybe he'd been around them. Is there someone there? And they're like, oh, I need uh, you four fishermen. I got uh, James and John, Andrew and Peter. Uh, we need Philip. And so he goes down and finds Philip. But say it means um, fishing town, house of fishermen, or fish town. Or if you're from Indiana, just call it fishers. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> just a local humor. So he goes to this town known for fishing and finds him. And so we're going to find that he's calling a lot of fishermen, you know, and he's calling them for a specific task, which fishermen are suited for, you know, that they're, they're used to using different ways to get fish, you know, to bring them in, to lure them. They're patient. They're persistent. You know, you don't just go out and like, there's been days I've gone fishing. The only thing I did was... <laughs> Wear my arm out. <laughs> Get sunburned. And there's other days where you go and you're catching and then you talk to other guys. What are you using? How's that doing this way? You know, and, you, and you try different techniques and there's persistence because you, you need that. And so there's a lot of, I think that's the same way with fishers of men. You know, so he draws this character of person, let alone we know he uses other backgrounds as well uh, by the time he gets these whole 12 with him. But, but he calls him. Let's see. Let's go ahead to verse 45. But we'll see another fishing term come up. Verse 45 says, Philip findeth Nathaniel. And said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip is like, oh, I know who needs to hear about this, Nathaniel. So he goes and finds Nathaniel. Nathaniel is also called Bartholomew. And so if you see the list sometimes, you're like, I'm trying to make 12. You know? And so sometimes um, Nathaniel is called Nathaniel. Sometimes he's called Bartholomew. My dad was called James. And sometimes he was called Ted. You know? So he's one of those, some people have that. You know, where They kind of go by two depending on what, what crowd they're with. So he's one of those. Philip uses a different technique. Sure, he goes and tells him. We don't know his relationship other than apparently... Nathaniel's in the same fishing town. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's probably a fisherman. <laughs> and so uh, it's somebody that he knows and he's hung out with. But he uses a different way. He doesn't say he's the Messiah. He reasons with him from Scripture. He says, this is the one that Moses in the law talked about. And so maybe he used a few points from Moses in the law. And that, that he could point out in Jesus, this is him. 
And he says, oh, not just him, but also the one that all the, the Old Testament prophets that they wrote us about. This is the one, and this is the answer, this is the guy. And so he uses Scripture to reason with him. Let me show you about Moses. Let me tell you about the prophets. This is the one. And he tells him directly who it is. He gives him the name. This is Yeshua. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He tells him specifically even to his lineage. You can go look it up. And I would say, go see Matthew because he gives an account. Or you can go see Luke and he gives the other account where you can check his lineage and see uh, where it comes down to. So he's showing that he is who he says he is. And you can investigate it and see. And so some people you have to approach that way. I think Lee Strobel, you know, he was an investigative journalist. He had to go and talk to experts. Josh McDowell, he had to go and investigate these things. And, you know, use his legal mind and use legal uh, things. Alan Green, I think, is another one who was, or maybe it's Greenleaf, who, who like, tried it in, in a court setting. You know, he's like, is there evidence? that Could I convict him of being the Savior from just the evidence that would be allowed and admissible in the court? The answer is yes. You know, and there's other people that had to go find him in history. Is there enough evidence in history? You know, because they're historians. They would find him this way. The answer is yes. You know, and so there's, there's all these different ways from different people and different bait, I guess you could use, to draw them into the Savior. We have you know, now Nathaniel, who's being introduced, and he's been introduced by using Scripture. Well, look at verse 46. It says, And Nathaniel said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip says unto him, Come and see. He's like, uh, That's Podunk town. <laughs> that's not that's no not high holy town there. It's not like he's in Jerusalem or Bethlehem even. It's like Nazareth. So he's open. He's honest. Yeah, we're going to find that Jesus is going to call him from that. And he says, anything good come from there? And then Philip gives us the same words that Christ gave to Andrew back earlier. Come and see. The psalmist put it this way: Taste the Lord and see that He is good. If you're if you're truly inquisitive, if you truly want to know, investigate. Because anybody who's investigated the Savior comes to the Savior. You know, if you're serious investigating, like I said, Lee Strobel was trying to disprove it, came to know him. Josh McDowell was trying to disprove the Savior, came to know him. There's been countless ones that have been trying to disprove the Savior, came to know him. There's another guy, I can't remember his name now, Sir or something. <laughs> but uh, he was sent by an archaeological society of the United States to disprove the Bible because it was... Luke was way too detailed. He went to this town, and they, and they stayed here, and they went to this fishing village, and they did that, and they're like, these places don't exist in history. Go stick the shovel in the ground and disprove him. And they're like, it's here. It's here. Yep, there's that town. Hey, I'm a believer now. <laughs> it's like you might want to quit funding me because I just proved that the Bible is real, and so now we live in the benefit of knowing that all those places and all those towns are on a map because this guy went to go disprove it. And proved it because the Bible was so accurate. And so even archaeologists come by sticking the shovel in the ground and finding out. And lately there's been some new finds. Uh, they found some purple cloth that they think was the same type that either Solomon had or whatever they could trace back to then. There's been some other things, uh, inscriptions on floors about Jesus, the son of Mary, you know, that was in, inscripted in Greek writing early and, and a lot of other stuff that doesn't get proclaimed. Things that verify and back up the Bible. He says, come and see. Now, this is the same thing that Jesus told, told Andrew and John. We don't, know, we don't know what all happens in this encounter, but I bet it's something similar that Andrew and, and John had when they went and saw. You'll see what I mean here. Look at verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and he says of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. So here he's just walking up. They haven't really been introduced yet. And Jesus like sees him. He's like, oh, here's an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And he's got to be thinking, who are you and how do you know me? 
when he says guile there, that's a fishing word. It's not one that you and I would use, but it's a term that they used. And it makes sense if you're talking to fishermen and you're in a fisherman village that you would use fisherman language. You know, Paul says, I become all things to all people that might be able to win some. You know, I'm a Jew to the Jew, I'm a Greek to the Greek. You know, and he's a Gentile to the Gentile. And so same thing. So Jesus is using fishing terms. And so that means uh, deceit or guile or craft to catch. And so basically a lure. You know, that's a fake lure. It's got a hook in it. You know, and so he's using that. He goes, here's, here's a guy who has no hook. There's no deception in there. You're not a fake lure. You're just a genuine guy. You have genuine questions. You, have, you meditate on things and think about it. There's a lot that's packed into this that you and I probably don't get. But if you were the one walking up to Jesus and all of a sudden he says your name, he gives you this character thing about you, you might be like, how, do you, how have you heard about me? I heard an encounter of somebody that were at a party and the actor Jeff Goldblum was there. And they go up and they're like, oh, I want to meet Jeff Goldblum. And so they bring this person over and they're like, oh, uh, this is Kathy. And he's like, oh, Kathy, of course. And this person walks away thinking, how does Jeff Goldblum know me? And then they heard somebody else get introduced to him. And he's like, oh, Dave, of course. And it's like, that was just his answer to everything. Just being nice, like treating them on an equal par. They're like, oh, he was just a nice guy. He was just acting like I was famous, just like he was famous. And, and just kind of accepted me in that way. Jesus knows. It's not a fake. It's not an act. And he's like, no, I really know who you are. I know these things. And it's one of the things that starts their mind ticking. Who is this guy? What's he doing? He says, one, I know that you don't have guile. You're one of those people who just kind of say what you think, you know, and that there's no deception about it. You know, that you're very honest, verse 48. And Nathanael saith unto him, whence thou knowest me? He's going, how do you know this? I mean, Philip just met you, and bringing me to see who you are. He says, he told me that you're, you know, the one that the scripture talks about, that Moses and, and the prophets and told me you're from Nazareth, and I've kind of got some questions about Nazareth, your background there. And he's like, yeah, it's okay. He says, how do you know me? And Jesus said unto him, before Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Did Andrew and John have a similar encounter when they came and saw Jesus? Uh, When they first introduced me, he says, why are you following me? And they're like, "Uh, where do you live? He says, come and see. I think he probably had similar encounters like this where he knew things about them. He knew things that he shouldn't have known, that they're like, this is Messiah, that they went and told their brothers, and their brothers went and told people, that, and it kept spreading from there. And so I think this is an encounter that John doesn't give us in their encounter, but he's going to tell us Nathaniel's. And so let's, let's take some time and think here. And so Jesus knows stuff. So was he under a fig tree? Apparently, right? Because Jesus says he was. And then... Nathaniel's pretty impressed. Look at verse 49. Nathaniel answers and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. He's convinced, right? All of a sudden he gets to the point where you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. You're the Messiah that we've been waiting for. Hmm. So he's convinced. But would you be convinced if just someone told you you'd been sitting underneath a tree earlier? That might be a pretty good stab. As studying uh, Magic, which I have as in the art of uh, you know, deception, you know, through tricks and things. I always like the ones that make it seem like you have mental powers. Make you seem like you're a mental case. I, <laughs> maybe I work on them wrong. You know, but I, I kind of like those. And one is because I don't want to be deceived. And that's kind of how I came at scriptures at a young age. How do I know? Are they just telling me? Are they just convincing me? Are they using a trick? You know, did Jesus use a trick? And so I studied a lot of those things. So I wanted to see if I could see those applied in this. 
But part of that, like you see on, um, well, there used to be a guy called Jonathan Edwards, and you see other kind of guys that say they talk to the dead or they do cold readings in a room. It's just magic techniques. Aim general. You know, oh, you have a sister. Or you, you know, you're married. I see a ring on your hand. You're married. You know, and, and you know, they, they use general things, and then how then that person will start giving them information without even knowing it. It's a skill to learn to be able to cold read somebody and tell something. And so is it that? No. And I think that would be a good general one. Oh, you're under a tree. I live in a rural community. I was under a tree. It's like, you know, that's not so shocking. But I think there's something here that's Jewish that you and I don't get as much. Because the scholars think there's more going on. Under the fig tree is a phrase that rabbis used to describe the thought of meditating on Scripture. We might use uh, chew the cud. We've studied the scripture and talk about chewing the cud. You know, the animal would cough up their food and chew it again later. Like, oh, I wasn't quite done with that. We'd hear something preached. We'd go home later and you're talking about the car on the way home. Hey, what about that thing that he was saying? We call that chewing the cud. Their phrase, their expression was being under the fig tree because they had a little slower time. You could go and you go sit in the shady part of the day. And what are you doing over there? Thinking. What are you thinking about? Passage of scripture I heard read this weekend. You know, and so it became a phrase. Oh, you're under the fig tree. Did you have that verse under the fig tree this morning? So you were sitting there thinking and meditating on a Bible verse. I kind of like it. That's a good one. When I sit out in the woods, I think about those things. When I drive on the way into work, I think about those things. <laughs> when I walk, I think about those things a lot. Things that pop up in the space. And the lane's like, what do you think about over there? Oh, I was thinking about this verse. You know, and I think about how that goes. You know, it's conversations that we have. So under the fig tree is a meditating on Scripture. Is he saying that? Oh, you were under a fig tree. But you were under a fig tree. You were thinking about a Bible verse. That would be a little more convincing, right? If someone's like, oh, not only were you under a fig tree, but you were actually doing the under the fig tree thing. You were meditating on Scripture under the fig tree. And then what if Jesus took it that next level? Let me answer your question about the verse you were meditating on. Now that would blow you away, right? When you get to that third level, that third thing that happens, it's like, wait a minute. Jesus gives a, a unique answer here, verse 50. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under a fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than this. And he saith unto him, I think this is specific. I think this is one where Nathaniel is like, I am so convinced now. Because I think just knowing that you were thinking about a scripture earlier, because that's a little harder, you know, because everybody could be thinking, you could be thinking about the weather, you could be thinking about your work, you could be thinking about your family, you could be thinking about whatever, all the different things. But to say, hey, you were thinking about scripture earlier, in a specific place, that's something. And now Jesus is like taking it to a different level. And he says, Verily I say unto you, verse 51, Hereafter ye shall see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. A little cryptic to you and I. Like, that's a strange answer. To have it that way, you're going to see these things. Is it an answer that convinces him? Yes, obviously he stays and becomes his disciple and travels with him the rest of their time, gives his life. So what was Nathaniel meditating on then? We think he was meditating on Genesis 28. And Genesis 28 is the passage where Jacob has a dream. And the heaven is open and angels are ascending and descending on a ladder. Remember that one? The, the, the Jacob's dream and Jacob's ladder you know, becomes a phrase that we talk about. Because Jesus answers with very similar terms here. Like, oh, I know what you're meditating on. You're wondering, what's that ladder? that the angels are ascending and descending on? How is it that he had heaven open and, and he could see and, and know the things that were going on in heaven? There's access to the things on earth. You're meditating on that verse. That's a good verse to meditate on. So he answers him, I'm the latter. I'm the Messiah. 
I'm the one that's allowing access to heaven, for heaven and earth to come down. I'm the bridge between the two. We even use that. You ever seen the gospel tracks drawn that way, where here's a cliff and here's a cliff, and you draw the cross in between. Now you have access from the sinner to the Savior, you know, to, the, to God through the Savior and his death on the cross. We use it in this way. And Jesus is here telling him, I'm the mediator between God and man. I'm the one. And you're going to see these fantastic things. That would make you say, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. That's, that's the question that I had. That's the portion of scripture I was meditating on. That's the under the fig tree verse that it was bothering me this morning. And I'm like, what does it mean with the ladder? What does it mean with Jacob and all that? Now, we're guessing, but I think it's a pretty good educated guess from the things that we see here. I know that he is surely convinced. And I think that this was probably something similar that John and Andrew had a similar encounter. That they're like, this is Messiah. This is the Son of God. He's told us these things. He knows who we are. He knows what even we're thinking sometimes. I would say that's wow. We've also just had some pretty rapid-fire succession encounters here, right? That the gospel is spreading, that this man is doing things. You didn't expect John the Baptist, he'd done some stuff. But Jesus is now adding these men, adding these to his disciple. Come follow me. I know who you are. I know who you are. Follow me. Stay with me. I will show you things. And so we've seen a few ways to come to Jesus. One, you can be like Andrew. You can come to Jesus because you've heard preaching. He heard John the Baptist telling about who the Savior was, and that to the point when the Savior, he needed the Savior and he was there, he recognized him and followed him. So preaching is one way. Some people come to, come to saving knowledge that way. They attended church service. They're curious enough. Or maybe they're in a Christian family and the family brings them. They hear the gospel preached. And they understand who the Savior is, their need for a Savior. They repent and they trust in him and they come to know him. Excitement in our family. Joel's nephew came to know Christ the Savior this week. His dad is a pastor. And he finally got to the point where he's like, I need him as my Savior, and I know what to do. I need to repent and trust in him. Maybe he's five, maybe, something like that, five or six. And, so, and the things that he talked about were the things that I thought about when I was 13. He was worried about dying, what would happen to him if his parents were gone, and, and what about me? I need a Savior. You know, so he, I had those same worries when I was 13. That he's worried about five, and so he, he repents and trusts in him. And so he'd heard the preaching, and so when he came to the point where he knew he was a sinner, he knew what to do. He knew where to go. He knew what to ask for. He knew about the Savior because he'd heard preaching. Or you could be like Peter. He came because of his brother's witness, his brother's testimony. Sometimes people get saved because they hear somebody else's testimony. I knew who they were. I know who they are now, and they're different. They're changed. What is it? What has changed in your life? What, what is it that, that so radically has switched who you are that you're someone different? So sometimes it's the testimony of other believers. I would say, again, it's the testimony of other believers that maybe become a pastor. It's like uh, to uh, have the confidence to stand up and boldly proclaim it, to see changed lives that Jesus Christ has encountered and to switch them. And then Philip came to him because of his direct fall from Jesus. But Jesus just sought him out and said, come follow me. And he said, yeah. That direct call, that would be something, wouldn't it? That the Savior would call you directly. In a sense, he calls us all that way. But I'm glad I had family. I'm glad I had witnesses and testimonies that I could see. I'm glad I wasn't such a unique and far-off case that God had to come down and intervene and just directly call at me, but I'm glad he does. I'm glad he does. I'm glad, I'm glad there won't be anybody in heaven saying, I really wanted to know, but no one ever told me that Christ would encounter with you personally and call you, that he would not leave any who is truly seeking without a way and without a knowledge. And then there's Nathaniel. He overcomes prejudices against Jesus. Uh, Nazareth? He's really fulfilling the scriptures? This is really him? And then he has an encounter with him and it changes everything. Sometimes that's how some people are. 
They think they know who Jesus is, but they don't know. Or they've been told something. Muslims get told that he's one way, and then Jews are told to avoid him because he's uh, this hater who's against them until they encounter him. They realize, wait a minute, no, he's the Messiah. He's the answer. He's Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. He's all these things. It's him. And they finally overcome their prejudices. They see him for who he really is, and they come to know him as Savior. Maybe people have had bad encounters with Christians in the past, or that one Christian aunt who's always like blaming everything on Satan for him, you know, being the church lady. Oh, it's Satan. And then to the point where, like, I don't want to hear it anymore. And they have to overcome that prejudice once they understand their need for savior to get there and so we have that that's happened not all the same that's why we have to be fishers of men right we have to have different lures or different different ways to be able to reach them it's like no you know the grubs aren't working today let's switch over to the red worm you know and and try to use that whatever it might be and so he uses that let's look also that um, jesus identity was used differently too to testify and it brought people to christ not everybody come to christ for the same reasons at the same time in the same place not even by the same method John the Baptist talked about the eternity of Jesus Christ. They had to show them that he was the preexistent one, uh, that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He had to tell them, I've seen it, and God has verified that he is the one. He had to tell them that he's the Lamb of the God. The Lamb of God was one of the ways that he preached him, that he's the unique Son of God, and that he's been testified, and he could verify him. Andrew said that Jesus was the Messiah, and he used that message to his audience. We have found the Messiah because he knew the ones who have been looking for the Messiah, and so they pointed out that strong characteristic of Jesus Christ. Philip used scripture. He took Moses and talked about the things that he'd written in the law that pointed to him. He talked about the prophets and that the prophets had pointed to him and wrote of him and that he is the one who fulfills those things that were written about him in scripture. And he used that to present them. Sometimes we have to do that. I can remember being challenged. Could you present the gospel like Philip did? All he had was the Old Testament. Is there enough evidence there that you could show someone that he is the Christ? Think of how good we have it. We have the New Testament too. But man, we have the Old Testament. Uh, That's what makes me study and try to find those things in the Old Testament that point to the Messiah. And I learned some new ones that uh, I'm sure I'll implement here later in the book of John. And it's always always so assurance to me because Peter gives us that in 2 Peter about he has the sure word of prophecy. I might not be able to see an eyewitness, you know, an encounter with Jesus Christ and walk with him on the shores of Galilee, but I can study what Scripture said and see if he fulfilled it. And he even says it's more sure than even your own eyewitness. And Nathaniel, he proclaimed him as being the son of God and the king of Israel. That Some people are looking for the king and some people need to know that there's a ruler and there's one who was there. And so he proclaimed that. And so they use different, they're all true. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one that the prophets talked about and the law talked about. He is Messiah. He is the one that is anointed by the, the Holy Ghost in a special way. He is the Lamb of God. He's a unique son of God. He is the eternal one. And so he can preach all those different things, but... I think be sensitive to the Spirit's leading when we're witnessing to somebody. You know, we'll see what it is. And sometimes you don't know and you just say things and it'll be the thing that's not even on your forethought that really strikes them in that way. But I guess that's why we try to use Scripture because it is the sword and it cuts either way and gets to the, the heart of the issue. In verse 50, it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. I think that's a good way to kind of summarize chapter 1 as well. We've just been introduced to Jesus, and he was the Word. But something greater, the Word became flesh. And we're going to see that in the life of Christ through the Gospel of John. John was baptizing with water, and he says, Oh, this is nothing. There's one who's coming who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. It's going to change and transform men. We're going to see that. As it goes on, we've encountered that, right? We repented and trusted Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells us and changes us. He's the Alpha. He's the beginning. We'll find out that he's also the ending, that he knows everything from the first to the last. He's the Lamb, the Lamb of God, 
We're going to find out he's more than just a lamb. He's the shepherd. He's the good shepherd who will lead us, who watches out for us, who will guard us and protect us and lead us by beside still waters and take us into those green pastures and feed us and see us safely home, who will tend us and keep us and watch over us when we're wounded. He's going to be the good shepherd. And it's interesting that Philip says that he's the son of Joseph. But he's more than the son of Joseph. He's the son of God. We'll see that demonstrated time and again. John's already said it. Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and the, and the voice from heaven told me, this is him. So, wow, we're only in chapter 1 of John. And he's going to introduce us each and every time to more things about our Savior, more things to convince us, more witnessing, more testimony, more encounters, more of those supernatural things. He said, if I'd had time, I don't have time. But here's a few that I've written in 20 different, 21 chapters, but we've been through one. So 20 more chapters that show you he is who he says he is so that we would believe or so that our faith would be stronger. So this is an exciting book to study, and I look forward to going through it with you. Much to meditate on there, or I guess uh, park under the fig tree with. I hope you do that this week. I hope you take some of those portions and you meditate under the fig tree and think on the scripture and think, wow, what was it like? And how was it, what was it like to, to travel with him and to see these things? Think about your testimony and think about how you came to know him. Think about how you could reach others. You know, some people can't be reached by family members. So maybe they take that witness from somebody else. And so, yeah, it's good to go up to somebody at a gas station. <laughs> witness to them. Hey, how's it going over there? That's going all right. Man, it's cold out. Yeah, it is. Did you get one of these? <laughs> the track, that's, I've done it. To be bold and to witness for him. And so what an opportunity we have. Wow, what a savior.